Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. Greatness does not come from human effort. Greatness comes from the promise and the blessing of God. If you're going to write anything down, write that down. Greatness comes only from the promise and the blessing of God. Are you going to trust in God's promise more than your own ability and your own accomplishments and your own power for greatness? Abram's at a point where he can say, you know what? We've got this going pretty well. He'll look over at his sister wife and say, hey, we're doing good. Should we just stay here? She's probably like, oh, whatever. But Abram, he says, no, let's not trust in our own power. Let's not trust in our own skills. Let's go see what adventure God has for us, what glorious things God has for us. God tells Abram, he says, Abram, who, by the way, is nothing special. He says, I will make you, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. Are you picturing that in your head? Humble little Abram. Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. Now, do you think that Abram actually believed what God was promising him? It's a trick question. We read this story here and God's telling Abram, oh, I'm going to bless you and everybody in the world's going to be blessed through you and this is going to be wonderful. Now, in the stories that follow... We're going to see Abram act with faith as though Abram believes that greatness and blessing are in the hands of God and he's handing it to Abram. But we're also going to look at some stories where we see that Abram behaves as though he's not sure about this whole God thing. Abram's the only person I've ever known to behave that way. I was being sarcastic for those that didn't catch that. Right? Here we come. We come to church. We hear this great sermon. Obviously, you hear a great sermon. You leave here filled with the power of God. You're going to go change the world. And the waitress is slow. And you lost it. Ah! Where's God now? Right? Yep. That's how we are. That's how Abram was. The Lord goes on to tell Abram in verse 3, he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now that is just really great. All families from every nation, from every race, from every language, families from all over this little blue planet will be, will be blessed through you, Abram. And I think that Abram at first is thinking, what are you talking about, God? We call this, here in Genesis 1 and 2, call it, call it the Abrahamic covenant. Only because it was given to Abraham. It's really God's covenant. That's an important distinction. This is God's covenant of what God is going to do. We're going to see Abram. I mean, if any man can mess it up, Abram should have messed it up. Or he tried hard to mess it up. This is really God's covenant. God is promising salvation from sin. The restoration of mankind's relationship with God would be a descendant, a descendant of Abraham. Are you with me? 
all the world will be united. All the world will be united in a descendant of Abram. It's miraculous. It's glorious. And this is the point in the story where Abram should say, I don't think I understand. I can't believe this because this is where uh, Abram should say, this is too big. This is unbelievable. This is beyond the realm of reality. This is not scientific. This isn't real. This can't be real. And here's why. His wife, Sarah, she's never born children. They've been married for a long time. She's barren. She can't have babies. God, I don't know if you understand how this works. <laughs> my descendant cannot bless the whole earth if my wife cannot have babies. God says the world will be blessed by your descendants. Has God lost his mind? I think Abraham... I think he would have given pause to this. God, I'm not sure. This defies reason. This is not logical. Church, God is not hindered by physics. Modern Christianity is moving away from that belief, by the way. Modern Christianity is being shamed for believing that we, believe, that we have a miracle-working God. How is it possible that your God can work outside of the realm of science? Because we have this figured out. We know how babies are born. So if your God says you're going to have great-great-grandchildren, and if your God says that you're going to have descendants that number the stars in the sky, your God is wrong, and you're a loony for believing in him. God is not hindered by physics. God is not hindered by finances. God is not hindered by you and your sin. Did you catch all that? God is not hindered. What God says he'll do often sounds unreasonable and unbelievable. God promises to bless, to make great. And then he uses humble people, and we go, no way, not Abram. And then he uses sin-filled people, not Samson. And then he does exactly what he promised to do. He takes, the most un he, he takes what is impossible to do, and then he uses the most unlikely people, and then he gloriously does it. I didn't have a chair to stand on. Are you with me? Because sometimes we get in this little pity party of, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. I don't know that God can even save me. Are you serious? Trust me, you want to believe in God's promise because you don't want to miss out on the unbelievable adventure that he's going to take you on. That's the truth. Diane and I did the math back in 2002. And we counted approximately 103 Christian churches. Uh, the criteria was churches that you could probably be saved in. Okay? Pretty low standard. 103 Christian churches in the greater Farmington area. At that time, there was about 120,000 people in the greater Farmington area. And on any given Sunday, let me, let me rephrase that, or let me say that again so that, so that you get this in your head. 120,000 people in the greater Farmington area back in 2002. 
there were less than 8,000 people in a church building on any given Sunday. And we're the conservative side of the state. We're the Christian side of the state. 120,000 people, 8,000 people are in a church building on Sunday morning. There are no less, there were no less than 50,000 people in the greater Farmington area that had no church home and they had no church family. Now, I'm not talking about people who had just visited once or twice, but there was at least, because there's people who have a church home, they show up two or three times a year, right? I'm not counting those people. I'm talking about 50,000 people who couldn't call up their pastor and say, hey, I'm having some problems, I need some prayer. I'm talking about 50,000 people that are within 30 miles of your house that have nobody to say, hey, my kids are having some problems, I, I just need to call a fellow believer, will you pray, will you petition the creator of heavens and earth with me for my child? 50,000 people who don't have a faith family. So God put it in our heart to start a church. And being great people of faith, and it was, you know, the early 2000s, we ran an ad in the Daily Times. Y'all remember what that is? The big plan was a six-week preaching series. I titled it, Why Jesus? Man, talk about an attention getter. It would end on Easter Sunday of 2003, and the plan was if we had a crowd, we'd call it a church. But I wasn't sure if we would have a crowd. I tell Thomas this story all the time. We started the church where I preached, and I led with my dad's guitar. I knew three songs. Oh, this is miraculous. <laughs> If after six weeks of why Jesus, we'd pat ourselves on the back, if we didn't have a congregation, if we didn't have a church, then we'd just say, hey, we tried, and, and we'd go looking for another line of work. We timidly took a step, a small step, toward what we believed God had promised. Now, from that perspective, we had left our denomination, we had left our network of friends and family and people and all that was familiar we ran an ad saying, God, please make this work. We have kids. We have a house. We're in trouble. Number three. Brent, what happened to that story? I don't know. <laughs> Third step of faith. Step into God's promise. And you know what? I think I shorted you on the bulletin because I think that there's four in my sermon. I don't know. I'm going to make up a fourth if there's not. Third step of faith, step into God's promise. Verse four, so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. It's always good when we do what the Lord instructs. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, 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 old. See, you thought you were old. Get over it. If God can use a donkey. If God can use Abram when he's 75 years old, when he left Haran, verse 5, he took his wife Sarai, uh, his, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth. Abram took all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people that he had taken into his household at Haran and headed for the land of Canaan. I made a map of this so that you can see this because I'm a visual person. We started over here in... Y'all did good. 
traveled up here to Haran. Now Abram's 75 years old. He says, yep, I'm going to follow the leading of God now. So he's going to travel all the way down here through the land of Shechem. Uh, The scripture says when they arrived in Canaan, uh, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. Uh, There he set up a camp beside the oak at Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. So there's already people there. Abram took all that he had. Put that in your mind. Now, a while ago, I made the point that he abandoned what was familiar, what he put faith in, what he put trust in. Now he's going to take what his possessions and his family. He's going to take all that he had, and he commits it to God's promise. I'm going to follow God, and I'm going to take everything that I got with me. We're going to do this together. He didn't leave his things back in Haran so that he could come back later if he needed to. When we ran an ad in the Daily Times, it was like, I don't know, we have a plan B. I mean, if this doesn't work, we're going we're gonna to figure something else out. This is kind of hesitant. Abram, he's like, we're all in. We're taking everything we got. We're going to the land of Canaan. Don't know what the land of Canaan is, but we'll know when we get there. He took it all with him. He took his wife and he even took his nephew Lot. Evidently, he liked Lot. And they headed to Canaan, and when they got there, they set up camp. I think it went a little bit like this. They set up camp, and Abram goes, okay, Lord, now let's see what you're going to do. Looks like a big desert to me. I've been around a long time, church. I've heard a lot of people make deals with God. Let me let you in on a little observation of mine. Those who make a small step toward God seldom see much return. It's kind of like, we used to say straddling the fence. We'll, I want to be in Christianity enough to get the blessings, but I want to be in the world enough to enjoy some fun things, right? Abram took it all. He said, you know what? I'm committed to everything, everything in this world that I have, all of my relationships, all of my material possessions. I'm taking it all. We're all going in to Canaan. We're committed to this. This is going to, everything, we're all in. Those who go all in and commit everything in their life, themselves, their family, their finances, their future, their desires to God and his promise, those are the people. Those are the ones that go on a great adventure with God. The rest spend all of their time fighting against God. Step into God's promise. Window shopping, your faith is of little, if any, benefit. At some point, you have to take that. You know, in the New Testament, we talk about the mustard seed of faith. At some point, you have to take that little mustard seed and you have to put it in the ground knowing fully well that it is going to die, but trusting, having faith that one day it will grow into something glorious, right? We have to give it all up. We have to commit it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the day that Diane had been teaching school. I was being a stay-at-home dad. Uh, we, were, we, were doing, we were making it fine, but now we're coming up on actually getting this church rolling. And so we sat in an office at, at one of the banks here in town, and we deposited $250 into a checking account, and we called it Desert Heights Church. Wow. <laughs> Big step of faith, huh? 
We started, soon after that, we started Sunday services at the Marriott. First, we rented two rooms. There was the adults and there was the children. Then we had to rent three rooms because there was adults and there was the children. Then there was the babies because for some reason, Desert Heights has always attracted people with babies. About six months after going into the Marriott, we rented the building over here on Schofield Lane. Some of you will remember that. We started with no income, no building, no congregation. Desert Heights became a church. I don't think that it would have happened had we not taken some steps trusting in God's promise. I don't think it would have happened had Diana and I not taken some steps to trust in God's promise. But I know that it would not have happened had it not been for God's promise and God's continued blessings. There was a lot of obstacles along the way. Number four, you don't have it in your notes, but you can make it up. Here we go. Fourth step of faith. Be grateful for God's promise. Be grateful for God's promise. In verse 7, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give you this land. So he's sitting out here past Shechem. Uh, Abraham's sitting out here saying, God, what are you going to do now? Then the Lord appeared to Abram before he spoke to him. Now he appears to Abram. And he says, I will give you this land. Give this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now here again, I want to show you this cool little map, all right? So look at that for a second. After that, Abraham traveled south and set up camp in in the hill country. So he sets up and he worships here, and then he's going to travel south. Uh, He sets up, uh, Abraham traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel uh, to the west and I to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord. So he's worshiping again, and he worshiped the Lord. Verse 9, then Abram continued traveling south by stages uh, toward the Negev. So after he, he is worshiping, here, he's going to go down here into the, into the, to the Negev, all right? So here's the reason I put this map up here, because I like this. If I don't like it, I don't preach it. I want to show you something that I think is intriguing. It's a little bit speculative, and I tend to stay away from speculative as best I can, but for the, this illustrates a really great point. So for all of those who are sitting close enough, see this orange spot right here? This is the part that while Abraham, Abram is traveling, he can see these areas. Uh, Diane and I went to Colorado Friday, and we're up on the mountains, and I was telling Diane about this map, because you go up on the mountains, and you can see for miles, right? You stand on your tippy toes, you can see the back of your head. And so I was thinking of Abraham, and he's traveling... Abram's, Abram's is, he's traveling and, and God's saying, I'm going to give you this land. Can you see what I'm going to give you? And the orange, you guys in the back, I'm just sorry, you got the cheap seats. Uh, this orange part right here, Abram's walking along and he's like, Sarai, look what we're going to get. God's going to give us all this. As far as we can see, this is wonderful. This is God's huge blessing. The green is what Abram's descendants are going to actually inhabit. The green is the land that God actually gives them. Are you with me? 
This is what Abraham saw of God's blessing. This is what God gave the descendants of Abraham. And then this little bit of purple right here that's outside of the lines. This is when Moses and Joshua, they come up and they're envisioning the whole promised land. And they've been traveling around a little bit. So then they're like, yeah, this is good. This is all God's promise to us. But we think we're going to do this too. And this is going to be wonderful. Now, there's a point. I don't know how big you think God's promise is in your life, but you've probably missed it by several hundred thousand acres. When God promised to bless every family on earth through Abram's descendants, God was thinking eternal blessings not things contaminated by sin. This is why I get so excited about teaching Old Testament stuff because this is, this is a picture. God's telling the story of history. He's telling the story of salvation using history. So he tells us, Brent, I can save you. And I go, okay, God, I have a perspective in my head of what God's salvation is. And it's small. But really, God's plan for salvation is tremendously huge and wonderful and miraculous, and it is glorious, and it's not a physical place that's contaminated by sin. It's an eternal blessing that God is planning for us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. <laughs> the descendant of Abram. God did that for us. Jesus is the promise. He's not promising us, promising us thousands of acres of land. You wouldn't want that anyway. God is promising Abram this spectacular salvation. It is Jesus, all humanity, united in worship of the Savior of the world. That is the reason for you and I to believe, to step forward, and to worship the living God. We say, Brent, look at the world around us. It's impossible for God to unite all of this chaos. No, it's possible. God has a plan for it. Over 18 years ago, three families met in Diane and I's humble little mobile home out on Wildflower. Oh, precious memories. We prayed together. We planned together. We started a church together. We faced obstacles. People would ask me, Brent, do you know how to start a church? I have no idea how to start a church. No idea. Always been in church, never started a church. Lots of opportunities to quit. One Saturday, I met with the other two men in the church, and we had already started, and we kind of needed a small sound system, and so we agreed, if I remember right, we spent 700, $700 or $750 on my Discover card to buy a little speaker and a microphone, a microphone stand, and a music stand so that I could not play the guitar, but I could play the keyboard and lead worship from the keyboard. So we made this big step of faith. We're going to spend 750 I say we, on my credit card. 
So we're gonna, I, I, I was all excited about it, so I went home and I ordered this equipment on my credit card, and on Sunday morning, we had this little uh, plexiglass box that we took up the offering in. We do it just like we do here. It just set out, and if people give, they gave. Take the plexiglass box home after church to our little mobile home, and we dump it out on the, on the dining room table, and there was a whopping $38 was the lowest offering we had received in the three weeks that we had been meeting. We just made a decision to spend $750. Diane and I are kind of devastated. I mean, she was working, but I wasn't working. I was staying home with the kids. So we go on. We went to Walmart later that afternoon to do our shopping Ran into somebody in Walmart. They pulled a check out of their pocket for $1,500 that was already made out to Desert Heights Church. The first Sunday that we met, see there's obstacles, that was my point. The first Sunday that we met, there was a whopping 31 people there. So exciting. 31, yes. Sunday number two, there was 23 people there. That first sermon wasn't so good. But now, here we are every Sunday, some, somewhere between 150 and 200 people gather together to raise their voices to worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. Our online reaches out. It's hard to quantitate, but especially through COVID, we have, we have reached hundreds and hundreds of people that we normally couldn't. Church, God's promise to Abraham, it is complete. It is finished. You and I have the privilege of living in it. It's pretty incredible. You and I can be, we are, united in Christ Jesus today. We may have differences with one another, but we're united in Christ Jesus. We have, I wrote in my notes, and then this morning I was looking through it, and I get, I get tickled with myself because sometimes I say funny things. Um, I put, sometimes I do. Sometimes I do it intentionally, sometimes I don't. We may have a variety of differences. See, that's redundant. It's kind of funny, huh? A variety of differences as opposed to we just, we have the exact differences. See, that's funny in my head. <laughs> we have all these differences. We have a variety of backgrounds. We just did the DHC Essentials class, and uh, it was a big class. And, and we have all these different backgrounds uh, from, from uh, ages and, and denominations and spiritual backgrounds, theological backgrounds, political backgrounds. But God's promise, watch this. God's promise, Jesus, is so glorious that those differences don't make a difference. Have you ever been at odds with someone and then somebody you both love was injured and then your odds was like, well, forget the fight. We just have to go take care of the person that we love. Because sometimes things are bigger than your little hurt feelings. Jesus is so glorious that it overcomes all of those differences. When we worship the Lord of glory, those differences are lost to insignificance. Only Jesus is significant. Only Jesus can procure our worship. You with me? I had to hunt hard for that word. Because he doesn't just enjoy our worship. Jesus is so glorious that it causes, when we recognize him, we just can't help but want to worship him. 
<laughs> All of us have some familiar things that we need to abandon. All of us have some some place in our faith that we need to believe, that we need to trust God, and that He is uh, he, that He has something better for us. All of us have some area in our life that we need to take a step of faith, move away from our selfish familiarities and move toward God's promise of something greater. All of us need to pause to worship and to be grateful for the promise that God has already completed in his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I can enjoy all of the blessings of God today. Now, we're gonna end service a little bit differently than we normally do, uh, but I want you to humor me. I don't want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want you to look. Because as I've talked this morning, I'm guessing that there's some things that went off in your brain, some little flags that said, yep, there's some things that are familiar that I have been holding on to and I have confidence in them and I need to let that go. There are some things that you're holding on that's keeping you from embracing something that God has for you that is greater than where you're at today. There are some steps that you need to take, maybe in a relationship, maybe confront a problem in a relationship. Maybe it's you need to make a point to read your Bible more often, or maybe it's you need to be here on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. I don't know. Uh, you need to be participating in your spiritual walk more. You need to be more disciplined. I don't know what it is, but as I've been talking, I'm guessing that there's something in you that went, yep, I need to work on that area of my life. I talked about four different things. The last one was worship. Maybe we just need to pause more often and worship the Lord of glory and not be distracted with the trip to the promised land, right? We all have something going on in our, our spiritual lives that we need to work towards, that God, work towards God's promise and away from what is familiar to us. So here's what I want us to do. We are, we are the faith family here. So no one's got any judgment. You can be confident. I've done this one time before and you guys were great about it. But if there's something on your heart that you need God to change, that you need to move, you need to take a step of faith, I want you to raise your hand really high. Raise your hand really high. What we're going to do, you can keep your hand up while I'm talking because that encourages other people to raise their hands. While, in, a, in a few minutes, while I'm talking, you're looking around at who has their hands up, my hands up. And they, you just know that somebody in your faith family has some sort of a need that they just need God to speak into their lives. I'm not going to ask anybody to tell what their th thing is. We're just going to look around. We see that people in our congregation need prayer. Let's all stand together. Hopefully you were looking around. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 1030 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.